All right. Good morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Galatians chapter 6, 1 to 10. Faith is going to Coastal Community Church in Galveston. If you were wondering which church in the 4B area that she's going to, we're excited about that. The pastor, uh, Aaron, called me several weeks ago and said, it's actually been months ago now, and said, uh, what, about, what about faith? And I was like, get away. Get away from faith. Because uh, we'd love to have her here, but it's, it's a God thing, and I'm really grateful for uh, how, how God's led in that, that way. So it's going to be good, and I'm excited for Coastal, excited for faith. All right. Galatians chapter 6, 1 to 10. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. If you're able, and if you're our guest, we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading just to distinguish God's word from my own. Here's what the scripture says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have, his own be- each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You can be seated. We have uh, really all summer long now been studying the book of Galatians. We're going to wrap that up today in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 10. And I want to talk about six responsibilities of every church member. That may sound like a boring uh, title, but the actuality is that each one of us, as part of a local body of Christ, have certain responsibilities, benefits, but also responsibilities as a local church member. And Paul is pouring these things out uh, as he ends up this letter with the churches of of Galatia. And so I want to walk through these. There are about six of them that we see here, and they're, uh, they're really important. And some of them have lost their place in the church in the West in the 21st century. And I want to bring those back today if we possibly can. So let's take a look at this. The first one is this, is that we have a responsibility to restore people caught in sin. We have a responsibility to restore people caught in sin. Now, some people get that wrong and think to themselves, it's my responsibility to catch people in sin. That's not what this is. It says that we have a responsibility to restore those caught in sin. Look at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be 
tempted. So what is the responsibility? What does it mean to be caught in a transgression? Well, that can look a lot of different ways. First, it can look like just being busted. Have you ever noticed anybody get busted in a sin, right? It could be that. It could be caught up in a sin. You know somebody, a brother or a sister that is having trouble, difficulty letting go it could, uh, of a particular sin or transgression. It is caught in the wake of others' sin, uh, that they're wounded and traumatized by the sins of another and they can't seem to get away from it. It actually produces sin in their own life. We have a responsibility then to restore people caught in sin. It says you who are spiritual should do that. And that, that's the question. Who, who are the ones who are spiritual? And I think that we have this like thought, this ethereal thought of what it means to be spiritual. But if you look at that word in light of the rest of the, the letter, you see that the person who is spiritual is one who is walking in the Spirit. One who is keeping in step with the Spirit. That's all, that's all that it is. One that is daily, one day at a time, seeking to follow uh, God. These are normal, everyday people who are keeping in step with the Spirit as followers of Jesus. Now, what does it say that we should do? It says that we should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Restoration is an interesting word. Restoration is a big part of our ministry thrust here at Bay Area Church. In fact, we say all the time that we want to restore people, families, and churches. The reason people need restoration is because of sin. Sin causes brokenness. It affects us. And people caught up in sin need to be restored. Restored to what? Well, this is written to Christians. So how many of you know that Christians sin? Okay, good, we're all on the same page there. Christians, when they sin, need to be restored to Christ, to the body of Christ, and to the people they've sinned against. To Christ, the body of Christ, and the people they've sinned against. And this is delicate work, it is not easy. In fact, in order to restore someone, you who are spiritual, who, who walk in the Spirit, in order to restore someone, you're, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. But the thing is that restoration doesn't come without confrontation. How many of you love confrontation? Anybody in the room? Like Roy Beatty, front row, loves confrontation. One guy back there, Chase. Uh, everybody else hates confrontation. Confrontation is not my, my favorite either. But restoration doesn't come without confrontation. In other words, a gentle conversation that says the direction you're heading is destructive or what you're doing is idolatry or what's happening in your life over and over again, this sin, this transgression that you're choosing is is demoralizing to your church, to the people around you, and to your own life, even if you don't recognize it. So restoration does not come without confrontation, but the confrontation should be gentle and followed by care and counsel, walking alongside the one caught in sin. Now, that seems healthy, right? 
The problem is a lot of time, and this is on, all, sometimes you think, okay, this is a past, that's a pastor's job. I shouldn't be doing this. But this is you who are spiritual. That's anyone who's walking in the spirit. It's not just a pastor job, but it's the whole body working together to restore people caught in sin. Problem is, what we do typically is we hear about someone caught in sin, and we do two things. One, we get awkward around them and we avoid. Or two, we just talk about them. And neither one of those things help. So what, what Paul is telling the church of Galatia and what we have to do is we have to step in to restoration. It begins with confrontation and then it is a series of days, weeks, months where we walk with that brother or sister caught in sin and we offer care and counsel and grace and mercy as they exhibit repentance and begin to take steps. It is our responsibility to restore people caught in sin. I often think about it like this. How would I like to be treated if I were caught in sin? Because nobody's exempt from that, right? Anybody can be caught in sin. So how would you like to be treated if you're caught in sin? And Paul just lays it out. If anyone's caught in sin... You who are spiritual should restore him, restore him to Christ, restore him to the body, restore him to the people that he's sinned against or she's sinned against. You who are spiritual should do that restoration work in a spirit of gentleness. It also tells us that we need to keep watch on ourselves lest you too be tempted. Because along the way, right in the middle of that, as you're coming alongside and thinking uh, uh, you're, you're helping, be careful to think too highly of yourself because you could easily be tempted to. And so it's very important that we have an accurate view of ourselves as we begin to work this restoration process. Um, the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America, for the most part, doesn't want to get their hands that dirty. I mean, think about it. I mean, how many times do you really want to lean into somebody who is obviously caught in sin and do the hard work of restoring them to the body of Christ, to a relationship with Christ, to the people who they've sinned against? That's hard. That's not easy. It's going to take more than just you probably. It's probably going to take a few people. But that's what we're called to do. That's why we have Living Water Biblical Counseling Ministry here. That's why we have life groups so that we're known and we're a part of a community. And, and that's why we pursue relationships in the body of Christ so that we can be a part of restoration when we need restoration in all different ways. So first responsibility of every church member, every, every member of a local church in Christ is, is the responsibility here to restore people caught in sin. The second one is this, is that it is our responsibility to bear one another's burdens. Look at verse two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now everyone has burdens. Did you know everybody in this room has burdens? 
There's not anybody in this room that is burden-free. There's not anybody online watching that is burden-free. Everybody living on the planet has some level of burden. In this case, it appears that we are looking at, in context, bearing another's sin burden, walking alongside them as they are caught in sin and, and helping them out of that situation. But it's not just about sin, it's about all kinds of burdens. Couple this with the admonition we had last week in Galatians chapter 5, 13 to 14. It says, for you were called the freedom brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Christ is the supreme example of bearing another's burden. Several years ago, it's been a long time ago now, 2010, that was 12 years ago. We, I was not leading this trip, I was on this trip. We were hiking in Sinai and we went uh, up, started early in the morning um, before sunrise because that's how long it takes to summit this particular place uh, to Jabal Katarina, which is one site they say was probably Mount Sinai from, from the biblical text. And so we started, there was about 50 of us, and I was in the back of the line with another guy, and our job that day was simply when people get tired to bear their burden. And so what that meant was that, that as people began to sort of sit down, fall out, you know, those kinds of things, we would say, hey, let me, let me carry your pack. Hey, let me carry your, your water. And along the way up, all day, it took all day to get up there, by the time we got up, I and another guy had probably carried 10 or 15 different people's packs, right? Just so they could make the hike. You realize that in life, all along the way, there are moments of life that everybody goes through where they just cannot handle the burden anymore. They need someone to come alongside of them and simply be there with them and say, it might not take much. It might just be like, hey, l- let, me, let me walk alongside you in this. Or, hey, let me, let me carry your pack. Let me just listen to you. Let me offer you some, some service, some help, some care. But we are called as the church of Jesus Christ to bear one another's burdens. And in doing so, it says that we are fulfilling the law of Christ. What is it to fulfill the law of Christ? John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the idea that when we bear one another's burdens, that when we are restoring someone caught into sin, we are actually, even as Christ did restoration work on the cross, even as Christ bared our burdens on the cross, we are loving one another like Christ loved us. And that is the call of the local church. There should be no love in the world like there is in the context of a local community of faith. So the second responsibility is to, re- to bear one another's burdens. The third is interesting. It's the responsibility to have an accurate view of self. Have you ever known anybody who did not have an accurate view of themselves? 
probably, probably, maybe that's even been you or me along the way in one time or another. Look at verses 3 to 5. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have his own load to bear. Paul is saying in in the midst of, hey, restore people who are caught in sin, in the midst of bear other people's burdens, now he says, but don't think too highly of yourself, like I'm the one that's always carrying everybody's pack, like I'm the one that's always restoring everybody in sin because I don't really have a problem. No, he's saying, be careful. Let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his, not his neighbor. Don't compare or condemn. Instead, Look at yourself. Jesus taught it a different way. And and he said this, uh, before you take the speck out of your neighbor's eye, remove the log out of your own. It's important that we have an accurate view of self, that we test ourselves. This kills pride, which gives birth to a myriad of, of other sins. And at the end of the day, at the judgment seat of Christ... Do you know that the argument that you're going to have at the end of the day is not going to be, well, at least my sin wasn't as bad as Roy's. That would be easier. At least my sin wasn't as bad as whoever's. It's, it's going to be you. In fact, Romans chapter 14 verse 12 says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So test yourself. Now, the gospel The good news is that Jesus Christ died on a cross to save you from your sins. You don't have to worry about Roy's or mine. You have to simply lay yours at the feet of Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Then when you show up at the judgment seat of Christ, that sin has been paid for. You've been justified before the judge. And and you've been glorified. You've given entrance into, into heaven. Here's the fourth responsibility. It's a one-liner. Paul sticks in here. I think it's important. One who is taught the word, verse 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. So Paul isn't concerned about maintaining the principle of paying the preacher, but his burden is for the furtherance of the gospel. And he knew that God ordained means for accomplishing this was the steady proclamation of God of the word of God. And so we need, each one of us has a responsibility to give financially to further the proclamation of the gospel. And since Paul made it a one-liner, I will too. I will leave it at that. Uh, verse 5, it says that we, I mean, number 5, we have the responsibility to sow to the Spirit. So look at verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We have a responsibility as the body of Christ to sow 
to the Spirit. Now, what Paul is saying here, do not be deceived, is don't let the enemy pull the wool over your eyes. God will not be mocked by his own people. There's a principle in the scripture of sowing and reaping. And here's the, the, the basic uh, understanding of that principle is that you harvest the fruit of the seed that you planted. You harvest the fruit of the seed that you planted. So I get all kinds of like big ideas all the time and I have to like just write them down on a piece of paper and save them for later because you can't do everything all at once. But I've often thought, we have all this acreage out here and I've often thought, you know, up there in the corner and all that just empty land, we could grow a lot of food up there and, and take care of a lot of, a lot of people. And, uh, and so what if, we, what if we tilled that all up? Somebody, one of you in here probably has a tractor. You, know, you brought your tractor, you, we tilled all that up and we planted watermelons. Does anybody like watermelon? So we planted watermelon seeds all over the place, but we decided after we planted the seeds that we hoped it would be corn. And so when it came up, it wasn't corn, it was watermelon, and we were frustrated. You see, we, we sowed, we reaped what we sowed, right? And that's the principle of sowing and reaping. You harvest the fruit of the seed you planted. You can't sow to the flesh day in and day out and receive things of the Spirit, we must sow to the Spirit. Now, last week we talked about the things of the flesh and things of the Spirit. If you weren't here, go back and read Galatians chapter 5 just for an understanding what the difference of those things are. But in short, if you sow to the flesh things like sensuality, sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension, fits of anger, those kinds of things, you're going to reap that kind of fruit. But if you sow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you're going to sow to the Spirit and reap that kind of fruit. The one who sows to the flesh reaps corruption. In other words, it's spiritually deadly to sow to the flesh. The one who sows to the Spirit reaps eternal Life, So it's our responsibility to sow to the Spirit as a body of Christ. The sixth and final one that we find here in verse 9 and 10 is, is simple. It's the responsibility not to quit. Look at verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. It is the responsibility to not grow weary in doing good. It's the responsibility to not quit. Now, even in the course of my ministry here, just the almost 12 years that I've been here, I've seen so many people grow weary in doing good. I've seen so many people quit on God. Quit the church, for whatever reason, and maybe there was like decent worldly reasons, they were tired, exhausted, you know, or, or whatever, but our responsibility in the body of Christ is to not grow weary, to not quit, uh, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Sometimes doing good is hard. 
um, because you don't see the results right away. Anybody ever uh, done something where you, you, you know, like, I'm not going to see the result of this for a long time? Um, there are some slow-growing trees that if you planted that tree, you're really planting it for the next generation. If you planted it as a seedling, because you're not going to see the shade of that tree, you know, in your, li- your lifetime. Sometimes, sometimes doing good is like that. Sometimes it's an investment. Student ministry, those of you that have done student ministry for years and years and years, that can be like that. You, you have these students for like five, six years. They go to college. You, you, you don't even know sometimes what happened to them, where they went, you know, all that kind of thing. And then 20 years later, they show up and you realize like they blossomed into this beautiful follower of Jesus. But you, you didn't see that, you didn't see the fruit of that investment for a long time. But you can't grow weary in doing good. Sometimes people grow weary in the world circumstances and say, why do we keep doing good? Why do we keep pursuing these things of Christ when the world is getting worse and worse and worse? You cannot grow weary in doing good. We all have a part to play. In the short run, that kind of life, the good life that is following Jesus and sowing to the Spirit and loving God and loving people, in the short term, it feels like a sacrifice, maybe a tremendous one at time. In the long run, according to the Scripture, a harvest is coming that you can't imagine that you can't even get your mind around. And we're sowing to that. It is our investment. It is a kingdom investment, and we cannot give up. We get satisfaction along the way by seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We might get to see people and families and churches and whole cities restored in our lifetime. We will be the ones to bear other people's burdens, to restore other people who are caught in sin. If the church of Jesus doesn't bear one another's burdens, if the church of Jesus doesn't restore other people caught in sin, if the church of Jesus doesn't take the responsibility to financially support the ministry of proclamation, if the church of Jesus doesn't sow to the Spirit, no one else will. This is our responsibility. And this was what Paul was saying to the church of Galatia here in Galatia chapter 6. We have to do our part. We have the responsibility to not quit. There's a place that I've taken some of you, but I wish I could take all of you right now. I wish I could snap my fingers and we could be there. It's a place called Gamla up on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And Gamla is a zealot hideout in the first century. So there was a war going on between the zealot Jews and the Romans. It took place in several different fronts, but mostly Masada, Jerusalem, and Gamla. Gamla is the northernmost hideout of the zealots and the and Gamla and the the zealots found themselves surrounded by the Romans at the end of this Jewish war. They did not exactly know what to do, so they run to the top of this hill. 
Their houses are built around the hill, kind of in cascading stair steps on the way up. And one of the techniques that they would do when they were under attack is that everybody who had a wall on the outside uh, or a house that backed up to the outside of the city wall, they would fill in the back room and that would increase the width of the city wall. And so everybody had to do that. If Larry had a house backing up to the city wall and Kay did and I do and Russell does, we all had to fill in our back room with rocks. Well, from two different points outside of Gamla, you, if you're a Roman general, can observe all this work taking place because you're higher than them. And one guy, One guy out of all the rooms, all the way around the city of Gamla, one guy didn't fill in his his room, didn't fill in the back room up to the wall with rocks, and it was observed. So the Romans, what they did is they brought a battering ram in to that very specific point on the city wall that wasn't fortified, and they took the battering ram and they pushed through that part of the wall, which you can still see today where they destroyed that part of the wall. They took and they went through the city, and step by step, they overthrew the zealots, and that was the end of the Jewish wars, basically. Here's the lesson. What happens... When one person in the body of Christ quits, when one person doesn't fill in their part of the wall, we all have a part to play. Every one of us. Paul was saying this to the church of Galatia. Look, these six responsibilities, we need to take them seriously, each one, to restore people caught in sin to bear one another's burdens, to have an accurate view of ourselves, to, to, to support the ministry of proclamation, to sow to the Spirit and not to quit. This is what we do day in and day out. It's not easy work, but it's God's work in the body of Christ. It is a sacrifice and it is an investment that pays huge dividends. So here's what I, I, I would call you to. After hearing something like this, you might think to yourself, you know, my investment in the body of Christ looks nothing like that. And so maybe you need to grow closer to people because you cannot restore people from far away, from a distance. Maybe you need to get in a life group. Maybe you need to pursue relationships. I don't know what God would be calling you to do today, but I do know like his view of church as, as illustrated through the writing of the Apostle Paul to the church of Galatia is, is very different than come in, grab a cup of coffee, have a seat, and leave. It's very different. And so consider these things. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and ask the Lord to, to speak to you. Just take some, some time.
Lord, we have heard these words today and we've considered them. And Lord, we think about just our own experience in church and the body of Christ and this community of faith. And Lord, we want to align with your purposes and plans. We want to be exactly who you want us to be as part of the church. And so God, would you by your spirit right now call us to our next step? Show us, do we need to restore a a person that's caught up in sin? Is there someone around us that we need to bear a burden with? And God, do we need to take a hard look at ourselves? Father, just speak to us right now by your spirit. Thank you for this body of Christ called Bay Area Church. Really grateful, and I'm really grateful for the people in it that are a part of it. I love them. I know you love them even more, and I pray your blessing and favor over them and their families, their marriages. God, would you bless them and keep them and make your face shine on them and be good to them and be their peace giver this day and forevermore. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.